so it's kind of funny, every week I feel like there's something that I learn, something different that happens, some kind of experience we have when we come into this space and something that takes place that I get to tell you about because one of these things that was really cool today was that Mary came up and uh, she welcomed us this morning. She put her microphone down here and Derek did his job, which is to mute the microphone so that microphone doesn't stay on as we're worshiping so we don't want you to hear feedback coming through that. But what we didn't realize and what is kind of one of the coolest things is that that microphone was actually feeding these boxes that go into all of the ears of all of the musicians and people who are singing this morning. And so while we have things muted, that microphone is still live and still coming through. And as I'm sitting there playing, I was like, oh, I can like hear everybody. Because like these earphones, you know, they're solid and they're just, they're, you know, it's, it's the bad thing about them, right? I can't hear a whole lot of else that is going on. And all of a sudden, all of this was coming through. Now, I recognize over the past few first Sundays, and it's not really a, a secret to say that we've been a little lighter in number than we've typically been in the past, and I'm just going to go ahead and we're going to chalk that up to COVID, we're going to chalk it up to good weather, we're going to chalk it up to this rebuilding season that we're in right now. And I say that not to say, hey, look, there's a lot of empty chairs around here. I say to, hey, there's some empty chairs around here of people that we don't know yet who are going to become some of the closest people in our lives, people who are going to sit in these chairs who are going to come and meet Jesus, people who have yet to meet Jesus and will be baptized and give their lives to Jesus, people whose entire family trees and futures will be changed because they took a space in one of these empty chairs. So what I ask you to do when you walk into this space today, what I ask you to do in December, what I ask you to do in the future is find an empty chair and begin to pray. Pray over that seat. Say, God, would you place someone next to me that I have yet to meet who is going to be that person who is going to become a significant part of the life of this community? Now, over the past year or so, we have talked about a reality that there are some empty chairs. And I talked to a good counselor friend of mine who said, Ryan, one of the things that you have to recognize in this season that you're in right now is that there are some empty chairs in your life. If you're new today, I have to be honest where we are as a church, where I am as a pastor, where we are in this season. About a year ago, we lost our associate pastor, one of my best friends, someone who taught here, who led here, who actually came the very first Sunday that we had church and gave her life back to Jesus and grew and then uh, began to follow the ordination process to become a pastor and was so significant in the life of this church. And she had a heart condition that was unknown. That last year, she passed away in her 40s. And that was traumatic. That was hard for all of us. And so as we look out, we see, and I see and feel that empty space. To ignore that is a terrible thing to do. But to lean into it and realize and recognize that is to see that space is missing. As many of you also know, a couple months ago in August, I also lost my dad. My dad was a significant part of the life of this church. My dad is the first person, and, and, and honestly, I feel like, I feel like, there's something missing because he would have stood right at that door. And so if you were new this morning, you would have met him and you would have never forgotten him. And he would have welcomed you as a long lost friend into this space. 
And so as we enter this time, we come into November. Last night, uh, our family, we watched a movie that we begin to get into the holiday spirit. Uh, many of you probably know Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, probably not the first movie you think of that gets you into the holiday spirit. But for Jill and I and our daughter Emily, that movie has sort of become a coming-of-age thing for us to bring us into this season. And it helps us to think about Thanksgiving. It starts to think about Christmas. Before that, we watched um, Nightmare Before Christmas, which is, you know, great to watch right after Halloween that begins to think about the holidays. And while we're excited about that, when we think about you know, decorating, I told Jill, I was like, let's just put Christmas up now. Because you know what? I don't care. You come to my house and you judge me because I've got Christmas up. That's your problem, not mine. Because I need some Christmas cheer. But at the same time, I also recognize at our friends' giving and at my Thanksgiving table, there's an empty seat there. I think about Christmas as we come together for our very first, this is so cool our very first true Christmas Eve service as a church family. And I'll miss Suzanne because I can imagine her excitement at being a part of that. And my dad sitting there as well. And I can see him in his red uh, sweater that he would have worn. His, he, he had like a, like, a, like a vest, like a sweater vest kind of thing. And he would have worn that. And I can imagine that and see that. I say all of that to you because I think it's critical and I think it's important for us to name the seasons that we're in. It doesn't matter if I'm talking about as individuals or if I'm talking about as a church community. One of the most significant things you can do is say, this is the season that I'm in today. God, would you walk with me through this season? And as Kurt sang this morning, he's a good, good father. He'll walk through us through that. We don't push through. We don't get to somewhere we want to be. We say, and we talked about this a few weeks ago. Hey, we walk this together and God is right there along with us, meeting us right in that moment. And so we enter that today. And I also tell you that because I think that's a significant part of this reality of empty chairs. It connects to the series that we've been in over these past few weeks. So whether you were with us on the very first weekend of October as we had our first Sunday, or you've been with us in our house church Sundays as I've taught from my basement, uh, we have been in a series looking at our values, our directions, October was a big month because it was the celebration of the 10-year anniversary of this place that we call the Southeast Project. For 10 years, we've gathered together, come together as a community, and a lot of things, a lot of things have changed in that period of time. From the first seven years to the two years of the pandemic to the season that we find ourselves in now in this new reality of rhythm and grace that we find ourselves in, a lot of things have changed through that time. And you can say that in your own lives. My kids have gotten older. I, I think that there's a different level of maturity that we see in things. We've all changed in different ways. The church has changed in different ways. The places that we meet, the things that we do. I never would have imagined that I would have had a setup in my basement to do church and then realize after this pandemic that there's something cool about that and some way we can lean into the margin of that and have more impact in our community and create a sense of community in ways that we had never even dreamed before. But through all of that, through all of that change, through all of those differences, through all of the, the, the seasons that we've gone through, there are some things that, that are core uh, assumptions, th things that are values, things that have guided us and directed us, things that have kind of helped us along the way, and those are our five directions. 
And our five directions, and I have the notes here, but I've talked about them so often and so many times, and you can see them on the screen there. Uh, we don't just have names for these directions, and I'm sorry, there is a little bit of alliteration. They all start with the letter C. It helps me remember things, but we also put some pictures to them as well because they tell us, they tell us the directions that we're going in as we follow Jesus, but they also visually show us and help us to think about it and imagine it. So our connect direction, the first one that has the arrow going up, reminds us that God is reaching out to us and we respond to his grace. We connect with God. We have an invitation, as I taught about the first week, to draw near to God and God will draw near to us. Our compelled direction, the two arrows going together, remind us of another form of connection, connection with one another. In compel, we see that we are made for community and we don't travel the road of faith alone. I love the compel direction because we've always talked about it that compel is this idea that, hey, I'm on this road and I'm not traveling by myself. I'm reaching out to someone who is helping to, I don't know, walk with me or drag me at times along in the journey, but I'm also reaching back out to someone else and saying, hey, we're walking this road together. We don't walk our faith alone. No matter how individualistic American Christianity has become, it is a one another kind of faith, and it is empty without one another. Our next value is our contribute direction. It begins to bring these two previous directions together. This arrow pointing up, these arrows pointing together. It invites us to move beyond a self-centered life, moving beyond fear and greed and into trust and generosity. Our contribute direction invites us to be a part of something bigger than ourselves as we use our resources to join God in what God is already doing in and through his people and through the church. We live that out as a church community. We invited a friend of ours from an organization called Allies who spoke that we continue to give to. One of the coolest things about this church and one of the things I love about what we do is we have from the very beginning said that every dollar that comes into Southeast, 10% of those funds go out into our community, either into community events or into our local and global impact partners. And we have a chunk of that still left from the past couple years that we continue to give away and continue to do things. And I, I, I love to see what all can we do with that, and how can we continue to contribute? So as we think about that on that corporate level, saying, hey, that's what we do as a church, I invite you to do that as well as individuals, to give, to be a part of what God is already doing in this world, to contribute, to be a part of that. Then our next value is our contemplate value. And this value is, is as I talked about last week or the, the week before, I think, this one is the one that seems a little odd because it's some arrows pointing in. And I, you're like, Ryan, you just talked about being generous. You just talked about arrows going out that we're supposed to go out from ourselves. But as we learn loving God, loving others, walking this road with other people, giving out into this world, when we have a healthy understanding of those places, we begin to desire to have a healthy understanding of ourselves. How have I been created? How am I wired? How am I a part of this, this body of Christ? I love the teaching that we looked at in that week because we talked about this idea that, hey, the hand can't say to, to the foot or to the eye, or to the, hey, you don't belong, you're not a part of this, or, or maybe I don't belong because I'm not an eye. It's this idea that we're all part of one body. 
And that's why I began this morning talking about the empty chairs that we have. Because we're not complete without those people. The, the body continues to be formed and developed, and all these spaces begin to fill in. This morning, uh, the bass player that was supposed to play with us, Nick, uh, I think it was 103 degree fever yesterday. So Kurt obviously said, Stay home. Please, just, just stay home. And you miss that, though. I, it still filled. There was still space. It's still great. And it filled in all that left-hand action there with all that base end. But, but you still miss it. You can still feel that that is missing. And that's the reality that I think we find ourselves with the church. It's not that we're missing people, but, but it's this idea that everybody has a huge part to play. I had a philosophy professor in college that it, man, it was so embarrassing. If we miss class, which I missed a lot of, if we skip class, which I did a lot, we had to stand up and we had to say, I'm sorry, but I missed class and I deprived you of my contribution. And everybody had to say that. And, you know, you're kind of like, that's weird. Like, Dr. Reed, like, what, what, what's the point of this? Why, why, why are we doing this? And his point was, it would have been a completely different day. Who knows what weird thing someone might have said? Who knows what profound thing could have happened? Just your absence in that moment caused things to look completely different. And so we begin to pray and think about, hey, listen, I miss these people who are a significant part of our community. And I'm not looking for somebody else to come and to fill their empty chair exactly as they were. But I want them to come fill the empty chair that they're to fill. I want them to come to be a part of our community, make an impact and a difference in ways that we could have never possibly imagined. Some of you have been at this place for 10 years. You've been a part of this from day one. And you know what this is like. Or maybe you were here for the past five years or three years. I always talk to Kurt, and I always say, Kurt, I don't know how you found this place or what happened or when you showed up, but man, you came at just the right time. And I can never imagine this place without you. And there's something about that, something about that value that we begin to contemplate. We begin to look at our own lives and see our own selves and say, hey, I understand how I'm wired. I understand that God has created me. I see the gifts that he has given me. But now when I do that, when I enter that healthy place, I start to look around and I begin to see the values that others bring. I begin to see people and say, hey, I can see how they contribute to this place as well. And then that leads us to that final value that we've talked about during the series, which is our captivate value, which is sharing our faith, which is saying, hey, listen, I, I want to I invite others to experience this reality, see the way that God has changed me, see this community that I have found, see this profound experience that happens because of Jesus in our own lives and as Jesus works in and through all of us as one body. I was sitting with a friend and we were having lunch and I was telling him about the, the sermons that we've been preaching and the way that we've been talking, things that we've been talking about. And I said, that value is so important to me because it is an invitation value. Captivate is about standing at a doorway and saying, come on in. There's always more room at the table. We read this story about this servant that goes out and he begins to invite people. He comes back to his master and his master's like, hey, there's still empty chairs. Go ahead and go find more people. And I think there's a back end of that story that we never talk about. 
And I always imagine that the servant goes off and he begins to invite people in and the master's secretly running around to other people and going, hey, can I borrow some chairs? Can you give me some more tables? I've got more, and the, you know, the servant comes back and he's like, how is there more room? I just brought people in, there are more. And he goes out and he goes to get more people and the master goes around, he you know, brings in more tables and more chairs. He comes back and he's like, wait, now I know, I know that that chair was not... I know that wasn't here, and then we realize that's our role. That's our job. Our job is to invite people into this bank with our Heavenly Father through His incredible grace and mercy continues to make bigger and bigger and bigger. And if anything, if anything beyond our job to welcome others in, if anything, our job is to tear down some more walls and use that wood and build some bigger tables and build some bigger chairs and join God in that. We'll tell people where to sit. We don't tell people who doesn't get to come. We just simply say there's a huge banquet that our God is putting on. Come on. Come see what is happening here. And, we say, and then the people say, well, why, why, why would I come? Because, man, I've experienced the grace of Jesus. I've experienced the way that God worked in and through my life. And I just want you to take part. I want you to have this experience. I want you to experience the this grace and this transformation. And that's what I want to talk about today. So we come to the conclusion of these five directions. I don't want to sit with just these five directions as these directions that we hold, something we put in a drawer and put away. But I want us to see why do they matter and how do we live them out and what that looks like. A man named Paul wrote a letter to a group of churches in an area called Galatia. And in that letter he talked about this idea of transformation, this idea of what it looks like to be transformed by the goodness and grace of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through us. In Galatians 2.20, as he's writing this letter, he says to these people, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live but Christ lives in me. Now, if you've been around church for very long, you may have heard this passage before. This is one of the passages that I say people love to buy a picture of and they stick it on a wall somewhere. Somehow it ends up in like kitchens and bathrooms and you're like, I don't really understand like how that happens. But we kind of just see it as a verse that we just memorize. And then we just kind of stick it up somewhere. We just kind of know it. But I want you to, to dig into the profound sense of this. Imagine you're in Galatia. Imagine you're, you're one of these early Christians, and you get this letter from Paul, and this person stands up and says, hey, we got a letter from Paul. I want to read it to you guys. And I want you to hear what he has to say. And you read this, and you hear this word. And like I always imagine the person who is reading these letters, how, how often do they stop and go, wait a minute, hold on, let me back up, let me start it over. Just like with movies, I always go, hey, let me back it up 30 seconds, I want to watch that scene again. They're like, listen to these words, because this is so profound. And just listen what he said. I have been crucified with Christ. I have died. I no longer live. He says, but it is Christ who lives in me. I think this verse sounds so profound because we've recently celebrated some baptisms of several people. 
after a house church Sunday, I invited everybody to come over to my house, and it was kind of one of the final weekends that we had our pool open, and we had some baptisms of some people, and it was super, super cool to have that experience. And during those baptisms, we were reminded that during baptism, we go under the water, which is a symbolic image that tells us and tells those around us that we have buried this old way of life. And I think this is important. We have our kids with us. This is an all-ages Sunday, and I think it's important to talk about this stuff in detail, that, that as you were there, as you saw those baptisms take place, these people were saying, listen, the, the old way... This life that I could have lived just for me, I have buried that life. It's no longer I who live, and I come out of the water, taking part symbolically in the resurrection of Jesus, metaphorically in the resurrection of Jesus, saying, it is now Christ who lives within me, and I am resurrected into new life. So we symbolically announce we've been resurrected, born again into a new way of life, giving our lives to follow the way of Jesus, living for Jesus, becoming more like Jesus. And that's what I want us to hear today. I want us to hear the significance of this reality, that there is this moment that we say, I'm on this path. And we say, we say listen, I, I am choosing to follow the way of Jesus. I am going to live for Jesus and I am, and this is such a significant word, becoming more like Jesus. That my life is about becoming more like Jesus as I follow Jesus. I am a disciple of Jesus. Now we see Paul talk about this in another letter. This time, this was written to a city in Corinth, which is about 200 miles from Galatia, west across the Aegean Sea. And I want you to hear what Paul had to say to this group of people in 1 Corinthians. He said this in this letter. He said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Now, another translation of this passage that maybe is a little bit familiar is imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Now, this passage came up during the week of Halloween in a very surprising way for me. And I asked the people that, that, that brought this passage to me, I said, is it okay if I tell this story because it's a perfect illustration for my sermon on Sunday? And they said, yes, 100%, absolutely. So as a pastor, I receive, and you can imagine this, I receive a lot of very interesting emails, a lot of text messages, maybe some strange questions. Sometimes it's someone who says, so my kid had a very weird question, and I don't know how to answer it. And usually my answer is, I don't know how to answer that either. I don't know what to say. I just look at him and go, keep asking good questions. That's what I'll typically say. Just keep asking good questions. But this question, this was maybe a little strange. This, this is potentially maybe the best question that I have ever received. So I'm just going to read you the text message. I took out people's names so they can stay innocent. Here's what it said. Ryan, blank legit wants to know if dressing like Jesus in costume is sacrilegious. And then the person who posed this question to their parents chimed in with, I found scriptures in 1 Corinthians 11, 1 that states, be imitators of me 
as I am of Christ, but I don't know if that extends to Halloween costumes. I want to be honest with you that I received that message. I don't think I have laughed so hard in a really long time. I'm not going to go into the detail of all the back and forth, but it was awesome. And I said, okay, let's, let's think about this for a minute. I said, if it's crucified Jesus, that is a no-go, okay? That is a, that is a 100% no-go. If it's Buddy Christ from Dogma, I might, I might be able to, to go into it. And then he said, oh, also the events at a church. And I said, absolutely not. 100% no. If it was our church, yes. If it's somebody else, no. Because I'd like you to stay alive. I like you, and that sounds like a really bad idea. Now, they decided that Jesus was not the way to go with this, and they, they said, okay, so I guess what I'll do is I'll dress up in the same thing with robes, and I'll just have a hello, my name is sticker with Paul on it. And I was like, that's really good. And then a friend of mine said, no, 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 no. Have him write Saul, cross it out, and then put Paul. And I was like, that's my costume next year. Like, that is, that is 100% absolutely brilliant. Now, the reason I tell you about this, <laughs> the reason I wanted to tell you this, because I think this is a great illustration for what Paul is talking about here. Listen, to the churches in Corinth and Galatians, Galatians and to us, as we read his words, Paul isn't talking about dressing up like Jesus, right? He's not saying, hey, be imitators of me just as I am imitators of Jesus. Wear the same stuff that he wears, and, you know, we're all good. That's going to work out great. And I know the person who wrote me this text message, they knew that. They find this passage is kind of funny, right? And I know they reference that passage as a joke, but here's the point. Isn't that honestly what our faith can end up looking like? Can't it just end up looking like, hey, I'm going to wear the costume? Like, I'm going to dress up like Jesus, but like nothing actually changes, nothing inside actually takes place, and it's just sort of a surface covering? It's like, hey, like everything about me looks like Jesus to people who, you know, they think that's what Jesus is supposed to look like, but there's nothing actually deep down changing. There's nothing actually taking place. Our faith can have a surface-level approach where we know what to say or what to do, but if it stays at that level, it's just a costume. So let me read that again. Our faith can have a surface-level approach. We know what to say, and we know what to do, but if it stays at that level, it's just a costume. Now, there's a great theological word here called hypocrisy, and all of us know that. All of us see it. It's one of the reasons that people say I'm giving up and I'm quitting on church because there's a bunch of people who know how to dress like Jesus, but man, they really don't know how to act like Jesus. So our faith can end up looking like this, but the kind of faith that God invites us into is one of change. It's one of transformation. See, the outside might look different, but nothing has changed on the inside. That's messed up. That's not a meaningful, and that is not a sustainable faith. What Paul is talking about in these letters is so much more significant. Paul is talking about change. 
Paul is talking about transformation. Paul is talking about a process of becoming like Jesus, learning his rhythm, learning his grace, learning his mercy and his love. This is what Paul is getting at. This is when Jesus, you know, talked about, hey, my, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, right? He's talking about this idea, hey, the rhythms of grace that I'm teaching you, I just want you to know them. It's like dance steps that you just figure out. At first, it might be a little weird to get into, and you're trying to figure it out, but man, once you get it, it's just a rhythm and a way of being. And that's what Paul's getting at. That's what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about the process of becoming like Jesus. And the process of that transformation is associated with a theological word that we call sanctification. Now, for anybody under 12, I want you to memorize this word today. There's going to be a quiz on it later. The word sanctification. Ready? Say it with me if you're under 12. Sanctification. I'm going to test you on it later. And I know, I know, listen, listen, I realize it's all ages room and, and we're using this big theological word, but I think it is so significant for our kids to understand these ideas, to begin to talk about these, to begin to say, hey, what does that mean? There's this big, big, huge word, but there's something about it. There's, there's a meaningful reality taking place here. So I don't want to shy away from this. We're going to do a little bit of education this morning, all right? Sanctification is both the positional recognition of where we stand in our relationship with God and an ongoing process by which we live out that truth. It is the result of the work of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection, and the ongoing indwelling work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, that's a whole lot of stuff, and that sounds like I just wrote a paper, right? But let me try to explain this as best I can because this helps me to talk about it. We always talk about here at Southeast that we are on a journey of following Jesus, right? Exploring the way of Jesus as we learn to love God, love others, bring life to our community, right? We're on a journey of following Jesus. We're on this path and these directions begin to come out, helping us to live out that reality. And what sanctification is, what I'm talking about here is this idea that I'm positionally placed on the path. I have been positionally placed on the path by the work, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. I am now positionally placed on that path. That is my positional sanctification. But then there is a reality of the walking of that path. This is the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit within me, helping me become more like Jesus. See, what happens is there's a bunch of people who go, I'm in! Yes! And then they spend their entire lives going, I know how to talk about what that looks like. You're not over there. But I'm on the path. You're not. This is hypocrisy. This is a costume. This is a being able to talk all about Jesus. Knowing all these great words, but never actually doing anything about it. Paul says, don't be that guy. 
If you wrote this letter today, he'd say, don't be that guy. Instead, listen, he says, I have been walking the path. Come on. He doesn't go, oh, you're not here with me. I'm further along. He says, come on. He said, let's have the Holy Spirit work in our lives, transforming and changing us. He says, don't just sit at the front of the path and feel good about this. Don't just sit there. Celebrate. Great. And you've, you've made a decision to follow Jesus. Holy Spirit, come and change my life. I, I don't want to just sit at the fork in the road. I want to follow Jesus down this path. I, I want to experience the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit. The, the metaphors here could continue. See, we aren't born again and left there. We mature in our faith. We open up our lives to God working in and through us, the Holy Spirit indwelling us. Our faith is no longer than just an outer reality, but an inside transformation that takes place. Now, Paul prayed that followers of Jesus would experience this. This is in 1 Thessalonians. He says, now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Now, did you catch this? Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And what, what he's getting at here is he's saying, this, this is actually really kind of strange. It's not like you are actually taking any of the steps. But he says, as you open yourself up to Jesus, it's like you just got on a treadmill. You are literally like moonwalking down this thing. You're just like traveling along it because he is the one moving you. But you have to open yourself up to it. You can't sit there and have a foot out and be like, I don't want to go. Like, I don't want to like, try to grab onto stuff. And I, I want all this stuff. Like, I want to hook out what this is mine. Right? Like, we hold on to all this stuff and we say, well, I know I said like I buried my old self, but like there was some stuff I kind of like back in there. Like I want to keep on, I want to hold on to that, right? He's like, let it go. Man, God is trying to transform your life. Let go. This is why we talk about when we come into this space sometimes and we pray. We say, what have you been holding on to? Just drop it. Just drop it. Say, come on, God. And this brings me back to the five directions. See, our five directions aren't a new set of rules or laws. We are led into the directions by the Holy Spirit as we give our lives to Jesus. See, we don't transform ourselves by what we do, but we invite God to transform our hearts and our minds and our souls into the way of, our, of Jesus our five directions, then, are the result of what happens when we give our lives to Jesus. I don't say, how have I been doing with walking with, with others? No, that's a natural reality of living out our faith. I want to be with others who help me walk in this journey. 
I don't stand there and go, man, I've just got to get better at sharing my faith. When we allow the Holy Spirit to walk into our lives, I can't help but share the goodness of Jesus with my world. I can't help but contribute into what God is doing in this world. I can't help but worship my Savior. I can't help but try to understand how God wired me to be because I want to know, God, I want to love myself and I want to love other people the way that you love me. We live out our directions. And so I think what's really cool about this is I think the more that we walk on this path, the more we walk on this journey, the more that those directions begin to come more clear in our lives. And we begin to live these out. Am I growing in my worship of God? Am I developing my relationship with others? Am I becoming a person of generosity? Am I learning to see my value and value of others? Am I sharing my faith with those around me, inviting others to experience God's grace? Is spiritual maturity taking place, or am I still grabbing onto something and not letting God transform me through the power of his Holy Spirit? Let's go back to the letter that Paul wrote to the churches in the region of Galatia. Listen to these words. Hear the invitation that Paul is giving to you today. He says, for through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So this morning, as we close, we're going to come to the table. And it's at this table that we remember what Christ did for us and that we are reminded that we are invited to participate. This table is his table. And as we come to this table today, I want to leave you with one question to think about in these closing moments. Are you just playing a part? Or are you allowing God to transform your heart? Are, are you just putting on a costume? Are you allowing God to transform your heart? I invite you to see in this moment what Jesus has done for you. Place yourself upon that path. Walk down that path, not on your own, but by God's Holy Spirit, surrounded by this faith community. My prayer, my prayer is that we would be people who see this path and say, I, I don't, I don't want to just stand here. I, I want the Holy Spirit to change my life. I, I, I want to become more like Jesus. I, I need more grace. I, I need more mercy. I need more love. my prayer for us today. Let's pray. And the Kurt's going to lead us, and then this table is open to you. God, as we come into this moment of this space, as we talk about these passages, as we think about what Paul wrote, as we put big words like sanctification around it, may, Father, may we see this moment May, may we see this spot here, this invitation that we have, not just to sit on the entrance of this road, which, God, we are thankful that through Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection, like, we are placed there. 
But God, help us to continually give ourselves. Open ourselves up to the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through us. Changing our hearts and helping us to live transformed lives. It is your name that we pray. Amen.